Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. So, um, you might have noticed that Sam's not here, so you're stuck with the B team. All right, let's start this off. Ready? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. (laughs) You guys are all over it. So, I know a lot of Christians that are not free. And sometimes I am not free. And if I am not free, that means I am bound. And that is not where we're called to be, where we should be, but it's often where we find ourselves. And so this morning, what I want to talk about, I'll tell you this, I have, I have a goal this morning and um, it might sound a little strange, but my goal is to make unbelievers out of you all. <laughs> I'm going to start with a few assumptions. So first, I'm going to assume that some of you are really cold in here this morning. No? The air's pretty good today. I'm going to also assume that I'm not the only sinner in the room. And I'm going to assume that I'm not the only person here who's told lies. This is also a confessional. And I'm not the only person here who has believed lies. So am I close? Are you guys you tracking so far? Can anyone want to debate that? I've never lied. Um, I've, talked to, I've talked to people um, who would tell me, I've tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, would, I have been struggling with addiction or whatever it might be. I've been struggling with this thing forever and I pray to Jesus and I still struggle with it. So it didn't work for me. It didn't take real conversations with people that went like that. Or other people that said, I, I saw my friend become a Christian and then her whole life turned around and everything started going great. She met a great guy. They got married. They got a big house. They have horse property. But it didn't work like that for me. I, I went to church and nothing really changed. In fact, my struggles got harder. So... Even among my brothers and sisters, even among anyone, our experience might be the same. We have all fallen short. The word tells us we have broken shalom. Maybe we've had a hard week. Maybe our relationship with God has taken a backseat to something else that came up that's consumed us. 
And that could look like anything. That could be financial difficulties, but it might be a new relationship, a, a new friend who's just kind of absorbed everything, all of your attention. And so the, the weightier things of the Spirit maybe have slipped back somewhere and you find yourself there at some point in life. Maybe the struggle, the same old snare, the same old thing that you've always dealt with, maybe it didn't go away when you started walking with Jesus. Maybe it got harder. And so what do we do with our experiences when they look like that? Oftentimes what we do is we live in constant guilt and shame, which has this effect on us that makes us feel farther away from the community that we need, farther away from the God that can save, because we are so ashamed that we are still struggling with the same thing, and it's been 2, 10, 20 years. So, the elections are coming up. You guys excited? <laughs> along, along with the elections, I've noticed an increase in mail. Have you? <laughs> I've, I've had a barrage of mailings and uh, banner ads on the internet and TV commercials and people campaigning from the highest office down to the local office. And what's great about all of that is that it's all so truthful. <laughs> if you're going to be an educated voter, you might know, you're going to take some time digging through piles of half-truths and misleading information. And, and can I say BS? I just did. It's, it's everywhere. Truth has become rarer and rarer, and that's a hard word for me to say. Truth has almost become like, it's almost taken on unicorn status, right? It's like the way of the dodo. <laughs> we live in a country that has stories of folklore about honesty and how we used to value honesty. And so we know about George Washington and the cherry tree because famously, he may have said, I cannot tell a lie. Abraham Lincoln had a nickname. See, you guys are all over it. Honest Abe. We had value. We placed value on honesty and truth-telling. But now, we often just accept what's told, what's, what's presented, or we, you know, even if we don't accept it, it's so hard to find the reality, the truth behind it, that oftentimes we, we give up. Let's just say that lying has become pandemic in our society. We tell lies, we believe lies, and here are a few examples <laughs> of lies that you may have told or lies that you may have believed. You ready? The check is in the mail. Binge-watching nine seasons of The X-Files will not hinder my productivity. <laughs> I don't use social media too much. My new phone tells me how, many, how, many, how much screen time I've been on my phone, and that's alarming. I'll just have one drink tonight. 
This is the one I hate the most because I wear hats, and so this, this one size fits all. <laughs> it is not true, folks. Uh, another lie you may have. This, this would never come out. I'm glad my wife stepped out because she would call me on this one. It goes like this. I'll do it tomorrow. No excuses. For sure, definitely, tomorrow. Two large slices of pizza is probably somewhere around 200 calories. This one, this, one, this one bites me a little bit because I know I've said this, and I've probably said this to some of you, and I don't mean for it to be dishonest, but I have really poor follow-through skills. So this one goes like this. Let's get lunch sometime. Sorry. But in all honesty, some of you guys have done that to me too. <laughs> so so um, uncomfortably. Uncomfortably, I think that most of us would say that, yes, I've, I've told a lie. Maybe it's a white lie. No, you don't look fat in that dress. <laughs> Maybe it's a white lie. Maybe it's something simple, something that you're just trying to spare someone's feelings. Most of us would say uncomfortably, yes, I, I have told lies. Um, I have been dishonest or I, I've contributed some misleading information about something else. Hi, my name is Randy Vick and I'm a liar. Probably won't make it on my resume. But it's sometimes true. But with some level of discomfort, we would, we would probably all admit that we have lied. The harder thing that I find in myself and people I've spoken to about this, the harder thing is to admit that we also believe lies. Weird. We would, say, we would rather say, yeah, I've told lies than say, I believe lies. Because we like to think that we're informed and that we have done the homework and dug in and, and we know the real truth. Um, but oftentimes, that in itself is not true. It's hard to admit that we've fallen for a scam. It's hard to admit that we believe lies. It's hard to admit that we've been duped. It's hard to admit when we've been suckered. But there comes a time in our relationship with God when it becomes hindered because we believe lies about him. It happens to the best of us, and it happens very often. And so this morning, I want to make y'all unbelievers of those lies. You with me now? That was a long setup. So let's get started. I'm going to assert this morning that behind every sinful behavior that we struggle with, behind every sinful attitude that we put on display, Behind every struggle with sin, there is a lie that we have bought into. A lie about God that we believe. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. And a story that you might have heard a thousand times. But let's, let's analyze this a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. Now the serpent was 
more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from, the tree, from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Do you guys ever just stop and think, Wow, there's a talking snake in this story? <laughs> Incredible. She's talking back to him. She says, We may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what is the lie in this story? There's, there's probably there's a couple lies. But what's the big lie? Yeah, you, 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 he's saying, God's telling you not to, he said, if you do this, you're going to die. But you're not going to die. Right? So this, this crafty serpent is wedging his way in between the woman and her relationship with her creator. And he's causing doubt. He's making her think twice about what God said. Is God telling the truth or is God lying? Is God really good or is he trying to keep me from this beautiful looking piece of fruit? Maybe he just wants it all for himself. Whatever it is, she buys in to this lie. Who is the lie about? God. Who does the effect of the lie hurt? Adam and Eve, right? They fall for it. And I'm going to suggest it's the exact same strategy that we fall for today. And look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So three things she saw. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. And it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 with me. Where John writes, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It was good for food, that's flesh. It was pleasing to the eye. It was desirable for wisdom so that we can be like God, the pride of life. Do you see now, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the back of the Bible in 1 John, the same strategy is being applied to people like us. We watched it happen, Adam and Eve, and John warns us about it and says, these are the things that are going to trap you and ensnare you, and you're going to fall to these because they appeal to you, but they are untrue. We see that the tempter, as Matthew calls him in chapter 4 of Matthew, uses the same strategy on Jesus. It says there, the tempter 
came to him, came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, what's he doing? Same thing. He's calling in to question Jesus's identity. He's trying to bring some doubt into the picture. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And now he's going to use scripture, right? He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up into their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord God and serve him only. Satan comes to Jesus with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Same strategy. Only this time, Jesus didn't fall. He didn't fall for it. What did he do? He refuted the lies with truth. And that, friends, is really how easy it is. Now, our struggle is that we have what I call a gospel gap in our lives. And that just means that very practically, over on this side of the world is where we live, where the rubber meets the road, where we're going to work and we're going to shop for groceries and we're running errands and picking up kids and all the stuff that we do on a day-to-day basis. And on this side over here, this is all the stuff that we've been taught, the stuff that we believe about God. Some of it's true and some of it's just stuff we've been taught. Some of it's bumper sticker theology. But whatever it is, there's day-to-day and there's kind of this theory of religion over here. And in the middle, there's this gulf. And so when Jesus is praying for us in John 17, he says, he's praying to his father, he says, your word is truth. Your word is truth, right? So we know where to go for truth. Sanctify them by the truth, he says, praying for us. So sanctification is a fancy word for when this world and this world come together. And the things that we believe about God become part of our everyday regular life. And they're not separated by this gospel gap. I'm going to give you two truths today. Just two. Two amazing, liberating truths about God. And it's going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Number one, God is great. And number two, God is good. (laughs) You're like, duh. (laughs) Duh. 
That's old news. It is old news, and there's nothing new under the sun, but it's good news. And it's maybe news that we overlook way too often. And so let's, let's work through this a little bit. If we're going to kind of bridge the gap, we might say, as we're stressed out and late for a meeting, that God is good or that God is great. But we're not driving like that. <laughs> we're driving like it's all on me. Right? Meanwhile, we say this, but we act like this. We say God is great, but we struggle for control. We say God is good, but we're looking for something else, something more. So let's look at each one of these a little bit deeper. Is this statement true or is this statement a lie? I need control. Anybody? <laughs> There's this, right? I have a budget, I have children. I have a career. I have a schedule to keep. I have to have some control over those things. Right? <laughs> you guys are like, I don't know how to answer this. Sounds like a trick. That's a lie. I get it because this is, this is me. I'm, I'm, this is all confessional this morning. But, but consider this. Consider what is happening right now. Consider that you are sitting in a chair, in a building, in a city, in a state, in a country, on a continent, one of several on a planet, that is spinning at a thousand miles per hour right now. And it's spinning around the sun, which is in our solar system, which is in a galaxy, which is one of countless galaxies in the universe. And God created all that with a word. <laughs> and so what are we in control of again? When we say God is great, that's what we're talking about. I always think, you know... Some experience in marketing, right? So you, you think, okay, Tony the Tiger would say that frosted flakes are great. Yes, come on. <laughs> Putting myself out there, and you're just like, no, that's not funny. <laughs> we would say that there are some beers that maybe taste great but are less filling. <laughs> that's not the same kind of great as God, right? The, the God who created the universe. It's a different thing altogether. Now, pizza might be great, but it's not great on the same level that God is great. So this word has become so overused that we are just like, yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great. What's the, uh, what's the country song? God is good, beer is great, and people are crazy. <laughs> it's greatness beyond what we can fathom. And when we're talking about 
the universe and all its expanse, and we're even looking at it with the most sophisticated telescopes, we still can't fathom how big it is because we have no way and nothing else to compare that to. So we can look at images all we want and be boggled as much as we can be, but we still can't fathom how great God is by doing that. Let me set you free a little bit. God is so great that you don't need to struggle for control. In Psalm 8, King David writes a little bit about this. Because he is, as I imagine, maybe you know, on the roof of the castle, of the palace, and he's looking up at the stars and a beautiful night sky. And he says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings. What are human beings that you even care for them? What is David getting at? He's saying, when I see, when I see how great you are, God, when I see what you're capable of, and just without a telescope, without anything sophisticated at all, I'm just standing here looking up at the night sky, and I'm like, why do you even think about me? Why do you even care? And of course, we have the luxury of getting the answer straight from Jesus' mouth when he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head. Some of you are like, that's not funny, man. (laughs) Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Jesus said, so don't be afraid. You are worth far more than many sparrows. God is great. And by that, I mean he is greater than we can think or imagine. God is great. So, so what are we believing? I know I've been up here before and I've confessed to you guys that I'm, I'm kind of like, the Incredible Hulk of Road Rage. I, I can't say with any confidence that it's gotten much better, but um, so work with me through this and, and think of yourself. I'm confessing mine. Road Rage is, is a real thing. Now, I'm not... I just mean that I get angry when I drive in traffic. Don't, don't take that to mean, like, I'm not carrying firearms or anything like that. Not yet. <clears throat> Maybe you guys like traffic. That's not, that's not my gig. But I drive in it all the time, so it has to be. So anyways, what lies am I believing? You might think of a, an area of struggle in your own life. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. Just, just pull it to mind. And I'm sorry ahead of time if you've ever witnessed me on the, on the highways. <laughs> 
it brings out the worst. Why? Because typically it serves as a massive waste of time (laughs) between where I am and where I want to be. But for me to assume that the God who created the universe in all of its splendor and all of its majesty and all of its order doesn't have something for me to learn in an extra hour on the road with him. So if I am getting stressed out and I'm really upset about it, then, then the first lie that I might be believing is that God isn't really in control. Because if, if he was in control, I think, he could just part these cars like he did the Red Sea. And I could be in Hollywood in 15 minutes. But that's not how it works. <laughs> the first lie I believe is that God is not really in control. And if he is in control, then maybe he's not all that good because this traffic is horrible. So I'm believing several lies at this point, and this is the way we do it. We, we justify our sinful behavior or our sinful attitudes by making God the scapegoat, and we don't even realize that that's what we're doing. We put the blame on him. And so, again, if... if That's mine. That's my thing to deal with, and that's what God is working with me on. I know because I've had great days sitting in traffic, and I have have the best prayer life when I'm sitting in traffic. But I don't always use it to my advantage. I don't always think of it that way. So the God who has spoken the spinning globe into existence and has placed it perfectly where it needs in the solar system to to be able to ever so delicately sustain human life. The God who has thought of every detail. What lie would I believe about him in order to be so upset that it's going to take me an extra 15 minutes to get somewhere? And therefore, again, the lie that I'm believing is that he's either not in control or he's really not good. I suspect that not everybody here is a road rager, but I do suspect that everybody in here has a struggle. Everybody in here has a struggle with a particular thing, and maybe you're thinking of it right now. And what we'll do before we leave is reverse engineer that and find some truth to combat lies. Do you remember... And I do want to say this. If, if that's you, like it is me, then, then we're all in good company because there's a, there's a period in, you know, there's Jesus' own disciples struggled like this, right? Do you remember the, the storm? They're all in the boat together. Jesus is like, let's go to the other side. And they all get in the boat. And Jesus goes to sleep. And then, the, you know, the furious squall comes. And the waters, you know, these are seasoned fishermen and they're freaking out, right? And they're like, Jesus is asleep. And then they go to Jesus and they're like, don't you care that we're about to die? And that's us. That's probably a very similar question that we ask him sometimes when we're upset. Don't you care that I'm going to be 15 minutes late? (laughs) Don't you care that I can't afford my bills? Or don't you care? And and we get like infuriated like, like they did. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. 
And I, I like this, the story, the way it's told, because he doesn't say anything to them. I'm thinking, like, he, they woke him up from his nap. I'd be pretty grumpy. I'm sure Jesus wasn't. But he just, like, went straight to the top and just said, Quiet! Be still! And what happened? Everything was quiet and still. Are we really in control? And then he spoke to his disciples. And he said, Why are you so afraid? You've been with me. You know me. You've seen the miracles. You've seen my love for people. You see the way I moved with compassion over the multitudes. Why don't you have faith still? And then the very next verse says, They were terrified. And they were asking each other, Who is this man that even the sea and the waves obey? I'll tell you who he is. He's the God who made the heavens and the earth. He's the God that set order into the universe. He's the God that loves you. The God who's in control. And we can trust that we can trust because of his love and because of his might and because of his splendor and because of his greatness and because of his word that that God is trustworthy and he is somehow working in all of this mess, all of the Southern California traffic for our greatest good because God is good so I don't have to look elsewhere. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere. If I struggle with lust for people or things, uh, if I struggle with materialism, if I struggle to fill the void by shopping on Amazon Prime, I mean, if you do, you smile. (laughs) But if you're just trying to fill a void, then you're struggling with another lie. You're struggling to believe that God is really good. <laughs> the, the crazy thing is we would never in a million years say that we don't believe that God is good. We, we say that to each other often. God is good. We say that to each other to encourage each other when we're going through hard times. I know that it's hard right now. But God is good. And oftentimes it's easier for us to say that as encouragers than it is to say that when we're in the midst of pain. But there is the gospel gap, right? There's the everyday stuff of life, and then there's the things that we're supposed to believe or the things that we say we believe over here, and the gospel gap in the middle. The gospel closes the gap. The truth closes the gap. But if we just say that he is good and we don't live like he is good, then what good are we doing? We might even try to fill the void, and I know you guys have probably heard this or thought through this. We might even try to fill the void with good things like church or children, my guys, or our spouse, good things a relationship. Parents might believe that their kids are there to bring them lasting joy. And then the terrible twos come. (laughs) And they're like, oh yeah, this isn't going to do it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
this truth is really tough because when I look at my life and I know that my kids and, and my spouse, my partner, my wife, those are the best pieces of my life. They're the best parts of who I am. And so it's very easy for me to put them on Jesus' throne. But once I've done that, I've created a lot of problems because the only source of good, the only source of lasting joy is Jesus. And I know it's tough. I struggle with this a lot. But once I've done that, I have also taken away from the fact that God, who I know gave me my children and my wife, the giver of every good and perfect gift, the source of those good things becomes secondary and I believe that something else is better. Again, I would never say that. I would never say I believe that this is better than God. But functionally, that's how I live if I've made that mistake. And so, again, those two things need to be one. How I live and what I say I believe need to be one. If this is your struggle, if there is something to you that seems better than God, if there is something to you that you might not say, you know, that new car, that's going to make my life better. That new house is going to make my life better. That new girlfriend is going to make my life better, or boyfriend, or whatever it is. If we're looking to make our lives better by stuff instead of God, then we've, we've believed a lie. Now, I'm not saying new cars are bad. I'd like one. I'd like a bigger house. But once those things become more important to me, or once I find my joy or happiness in those things rather than the God who gives those things, then I believe the lie. So here's some truth. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I give it all up for you guys. Famously, Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of, these, of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of you and me. The psalmist writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. God is good, and he is at work for your greatest good. He is the source of all good. So I don't have to look elsewhere. If we're going to believe these things, like we say we do, then we're going to have to work on closing the gap, bridging the gap between how we live and what we say we believe. And so this is, this is the homework. Are you ready? We'll wrap up. Number one, identify the sin that you are struggling with the most. We'll start with just one. Might take some digging, but identify the lie that you're believing. I used to do this with my boys. I'm sure they remember, and they probably don't want to talk about it. But 
they may have been involved in a few fist-to-face altercations in their lifetime. And so when I would find them in that state and pull them apart and set them down and we'd talk it out a little bit, then I would say, what lie are you believing right now? Because there's anger involved and there's, and there's selfishness involved. And there's a lot more than that. But at that moment, if you can imagine being, and this is, they're much older now, but when they were littler, being in that like heated moment where it's like something is so bad that I need to punch my brother in the face. <laughs> That's crazy. So to pull the crazy apart and say, what lie are you believing right now? And it would take some work, but eventually somebody would say, I'm believing that what I want is more important than what he wants. And that's the lie. That's a big one. I'm believing that I'm more important than somebody else. I'm believing a lie. I'm believing that this thing, whatever it is in my life that I'm about to do or I'm about to be involved in or I'm about to watch or whatever it is, I believe that that is going to make me feel better or loved or complete. And the moment we believe that lie, it's the same thing as the fruit on the tree where we're believing that for some reason that is going to be the answer that makes us feel better. But it's not. It's a lie. And just the same way that Adam and Eve fell, hook, line, and sinker, we do that same thing. We believe the same lies. Incredibly, we believe the same lies. So identify it. This is the sin that I am struggling with constantly. I think it's going to make me feel complete or in control or powerful or loved or whatever it is. Identify the sinful behavior. Identify the lie behind it. And then identify the antidote. What do I mean by that? What did Jesus do? He refuted the lie with truth. He refuted Satan's lies with truth that he had found in the book of Exodus. All three of his, of his replies to Satan, to the devil, all three of them came from the book of Exodus. So I'm not saying go read Exodus. I'm saying look in the word. Look in the truth, the word of truth. Find the antidote. If you're struggling with a sin and you find this is the lie that I'm believing, I'm believing that if I do this, I'm going to feel this way. And I know that's not true. Find the truth. Identify it. And then commit it to memory. And I am maybe the worst person I know at memorizing scripture because I read like five translations. And so I have some kind of garbled... Um, messy understanding of each verse. But when you find the truth to rebuke the lie that you are believing that's catching you up in snare, remember it. Commit it to memory. That is truth about God. And once you've done this with one sin, what's to stop you from doing it In Psalm 103, David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. And I love it because 
he's talking to himself, right? His soul is not some other entity. He's saying, soul within me, praise the Lord. Awaken, come up, come on, let's do this. I need to... I need to tell myself this. I need to motivate myself sometimes because I'm so complacent. I, I'm, I'm sitting and trapping, and rather than using this time wisely, I'm getting angry with it. Come on, soul. Let's do this. Let's, let's praise the Lord wherever I am. And I love the idea that David was talking to himself because I need to do this, and maybe you do. Maybe whatever the truth is, the antidote for your problem Maybe whatever the truth is, and maybe it's not. Maybe you're like, none of, this, none of this even applies to me. I'm good. Okay, start with a truth that you find in Scripture and stand in front of the mirror and tell it to yourself. Tell it to yourself. Speak to yourself the truth. And I love this because the more you do it to yourself, the more you're going to do it to me. When we have encounters, when we talk, you're going to be like, you know what? I've been thinking about this Scripture I've been repeating it. I've been, telling, I've been preaching this truth to myself, and I want to share it. And you're going to find yourself fluent in truth rather than lies. And you're going to share it here. You're going to share it with people that need to hear it. And it's just going to be on the tip of your tongue. And if you can speak the truth to yourself, preach the gospel to yourself, speak it out loud, it will transform you it will have its work in you. It is truth. And truth will set us. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would bless us all and open our mind and our hearts to your truth and put it on our lips. Lord, we are not good to a watching world when we live differently than we say we believe. Help us close the gap. Help us to honor you. Help us to live well in the mission that you have for each one of us. And let it start today. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.